0: Thank you, Stan, and worship team leading us in those songs of praise, and I appreciate uh, uh, the opportunity to sing a cappella there at the end, uh, I like that. Uh, well, we should sing a cappella more often. Mm. I feel like, uh, man, that was like I was in a choir of angels at that moment, but that's, that's what it sounded like to me, but... Oh, I just rejoice. Hopefully, uh, you've been encouraged in our worship this morning. We continue in worship now. We look to God's word. Uh, you take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 80. And I hope you had a blessed Thanksgiving uh, this past uh, week uh, with your family. Maybe uh, some of you just are in town, perhaps, to spend Thanksgiving with your family, or uh, you maybe you've stayed in the area as well. So I hope you had a thankful time, definitely. <clears throat> we have so many blessings to give thanks for, many blessings to count, and uh, certainly I know uh, Cindy and I are thankful for uh, for so many things, for Christ, for our own families, for this church family, and uh, many of you who we've we worked alongside with here in this church over the years. It's been a blessing uh, to grow uh, in the Lord together. And it's because we, we know that it's because of Christ in us, and His Word in us, and that's uh, our unifying, uh, our unifying uh, bond is this, uh, this, uh, the word of Christ and the Christ himself and this, even the spirit that dwells within us. So we, we continue, it is our, our privilege and joy again this morning to together uh, under the leading of the spirit, uh, looking to the word of Christ, uh, we seek to understand the will of our God uh, who has saved us in Jesus. So... Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 80 is where we'll be in, uh, this morning. And uh, it's a long section. I really, as uh, I was prepared, I thought, ah, oh, maybe I should have made it two sermons. But we'll keep it one this day, okay? Unless I'm only halfway and it's 930. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for our time together. Thank you for your word. And we have so many other things to be thankful for this season. And Lord, we uh, each of us in our have has had time to... Uh, reflect upon uh, the the blessings that you have showered upon us, uh, not only spiritual blessings in Christ, but earthly blessings in Christ as well. We thank you, Father, most importantly of all, for your Son, our Savior, Jesus. We thank you, Father, that we have the privilege to know you, to worship you, to draw closer to you this morning uh, as we look to his words. Uh, and we pray that uh, Your spirit would fill us, be our teacher, and cause us to grow in a greater love for you. Uh, We thank you, Father, that your word is true, and we can count on every promise of your word. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, may we respond as we just sung. May we all praise you and give you thanks because of your great love and mercy and kindness towards us in Christ. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, today uh, we look at Luke, the, chapter one, verse fifty-seven to eighty, which covers for us the the circumstances surrounding the birth of John the Baptist. Now, as you know, the birth of a child is a is a time of great joy, and uh, uh, especially, of course, for the parents of the child. It's probably one of the most joyous times in life, and uh, they are ecstatic because of this arrival of uh, of of God's blessing to them. It's uh, it's not, a, and they cherish the life that, uh, you know, they really uh, together reflect the, their, their love for one another. It's also, uh, it's, it's a time full of hope. Uh, it's time full of uh, excitement about what will happen with the child, how he or she will, will grow, what, what the things that uh, you'll, you'll watch them uh, do, live, and it's, and it's just a wonderful, joyful time. It's not only that for parents, of course, but it's also true for grandparents. Some of you uh, here are new grandparents, uh, and, and uh, it's, uh, I'm sure it's an exciting time as well for you, and we're happy for you. Well, many It's exciting time for extended relatives, and I think even for us as a church, uh, I think we get pretty happy whenever anybody in the church body, especially our members here, uh, has a child, and we rejoice with them too. Now, if you ask a, a new parent about their child, they'll, they'll probably start showing you uh, their photos and start telling you everything about the child. It already begins pretty early, you know? They, you know. Before you even ask anything about them, they're already telling you, like, their dimensions, you know. Like, what do I need your dimensions, you know. However, next time I come to you, and you say, oh, this is my daughter. She's uh, uh, four feet five. She's uh, 120 pounds. She's, uh, oh, I know, you know, head circumference about 20, 25 right now. You know, I wouldn't do that, right, right. Uh, but somehow with babies, we just do that, you know? We just, like, we tell you everything. Tell you, oh, uh, she was born at uh, 9, 13 a.m. We tell you everything. and uh, um, <clears throat> um, But uh, it, it is part of the joy. I think it's just part of the joy. We want to tell you everything we can know about a child. We, we tell you, oh, she loves to do this or he loves to do that. Uh, we're just excited about um, new children. Of course, uh, that's a natural thing to do, right? When you have children, you talk about your child. Uh, but wouldn't it be strange if a, if a new parent, you know, you know that they're, they're a brand new parent, they, they have a new child, but when you go talk to them, they never say anything about their child. Or not they never, but they don't tell you about their child. It would be like, you just had a child. That's the only thing you should be thinking about right now. Uh, Instead, they start talking about somebody else's child. You know, they start talking about your child, or the neighbor's <laughs> child, or the cousin's child. Like, oh, what? That's weird. That's kind of weird. Well, in a very similar way, kind of not exactly the same, but in a similar way. That's kind of what happens in our passage today. Uh, for John uh, the Baptist, it was his birth. And his father, Zacharias, in our passage today, he really doesn't, even though he's happy, he's joyful about the birth of his son, no doubt. But when he starts opening his mouth to talk about, you would expect his child, he really focuses on another child, a child that is to come. And uh, that's just kind of the neat little introduction to our text this morning. On occasion of the birth of his own son, Zacharias the priest gushes with praise of God for the coming child, the child whom his child, John, would point to. Already from his birth, even before his birth, in his his conception, John's life was given so that he would point to our Savior. And we, of course, know this to be Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. It's his birth we celebrate, this Christmas season that's coming up, and I pray that uh, as we study this text, we will, as we look at the birth of John the Baptist, we will also uh, learn to give, find more reason to give praise and rejoice in the birth of our Savior, but it teaches us that the God's promise of salvation, and when we look at this text today, we're going to emphasize that God's promises of salvation will be fulfilled just as he promised a little bit of background for us as we get looked at the text. Some of you are kind of uh, here with us for the first time perhaps. Yeah, welcome to you. And We are studying the Gospel of Luke. And Luke is written so that Christians, believers would know the exact truth about the things we've been taught. Uh, at that time, they didn't have the completed scriptures at that point. They had the Old Testament scriptures and they had a, many oral traditions. They might have a sprinkling even of written records of what Jesus did, what Jesus said. So Luke, the Dr. Luke, missionary, the missionary associate of the, of the Apostle Paul, takes, uh, takes uh, uh, time to write down carefully in a detailed manner, having observed and having researched everything, to write down a record of the things that took place, literally the things that were fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ so that those who read this gospel can know for certain because someone has researched it and has recorded for us that this is what took place. And we of course we now have this word for us as believers today. We may sometimes feel may challenge us. Well what do you how do you know what you believe about the Bible? Well we can tell them, well because Luke has researched it as a historian. Uh, do you, you know, you could they do they doubt the historian historical records of, of others uh, secular historical writings and <clears throat> generally people don't that they should give the benefit of the doubt to Dr. Luke as he's written down this record of history of Jesus and that they might believe and we might believe. So far in chapter 1, uh, Luke's pro, uh, after Luke's prologue, we've seen Gabriel, the angel Gabriel's announcement of John the Baptist's birth to Zacharias. He's announced Jesus' uh, coming birth to Mary. And then we've seen Mary's consequent visit to Elizabeth. Today we close out chapter 1. 80 verses, so it's been a long, man, it feels like, like a pretty, it's been, we've been in Luke forever, but it's only Luke chapter 1. We're coming to the end now. And that is, to, after Mary visits Elizabeth, we now see this, finally, the birth of John the Baptist. And as an outline for us, we're going to take a look at two events from the birth of John the Baptist, pretty basic outline, so nothing too flashy, two events from the birth of John the Baptist that encourage us, encourage the, the reader of this, of this text to believe that God's words are fulfilled in their proper time. You know, we all know, we, especially if we've been Christians for a long time, we, we're probably full of a lot of biblical knowledge. And, but what God does is he knows that it's, you know, you know, uh, that it's, it's one thing to have, be filled with biblical knowledge, but God wants us to believe and trust in that building. Not just to assent to it, intellectually agree to it, but to trust in the knowledge that we have, and, and oftentimes God uses trials, God uses circumstances, and God will do this, does that, to cause us to, to trust in His Word. Sometimes uh, those of us that have been Christians for a long time feel that we've been we're we're good, you know. We, we have, I have a pretty clear systematic. I've taken adult one Sunday school class. So I know my systematic theology. <clears throat> I'm sound in my in my doctrine, but that doesn't mean that we're done, that we're mature. God is always shaping us, always molding us. You think uh, when you get, you, some watch some people that are in their 70s and 80s, and you think, oh, they, they got it all together. Believe you me, they're, God's not done with them yet. God's still allowing trials and circumstances in their life to mature them. And that's true for them, and it's true for all of us, whether you're in your 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, or 20s. It's a lifetime of growth in trusting and believing in God's word. So let's take a look at this text, two events from the birth of John the Baptist that encourage us to believe that God's words are going to be fulfilled in their proper time. And the first event is really the event surrounding Zacharias' son, Zacharias' son. That's in verse 57 through 66. Uh, Before we can even begin, we we need to review the background of this story. And the background of Zacharias' son being born was that this was recorded for us in verses 5 through 25. Zacharias was a priest, he had a wife named Elizabeth, and they were both righteous in the sight of God. They were also childless. They were beyond the age of having children. And one day as Zacharias was serving in the temple, an angel of God appeared to him, and that was just amazing and surprising in itself, but an angel appeared to him and then spoke to him, promising that that they would give birth to a son named John, we see that in Uh, verse 13 through 14 of chapter 1. This, of course, would be John the Baptist, who would go as the forerunner before the Christ. But Zacharias did not believe the angel's words. And as a result, as a consequence, as well as as a sign, his voice was taken away until the day when God's words would come to pass. Zacharias went home. A short while later, his wife Elizabeth Became pregnant with her child. That was a blessing. So now we fast forward nine months later, we arrive at verse 57 through 58. God's words are fulfilled. Listen to how God's words filled. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors, her relatives, heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her we see here in verse 57 58 that god's words are fulfilled in the birth of elizabeth's son <clears throat> it says it starts off now uh, now the time uh, had come literally that the now the time was fulfilled we mentioned all, several in previous texts that luke is very particular he emphasized that what takes place in the life and ministry of jesus are those things that have been fulfilled they're things that have been A fulfillment of God's plans and promises. This is not coincidence. This is not random. This is the plan of God being fulfilled. And God's plan and promise to Zacharias was that your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And God's word was fulfilled. By this time, all her neighbors and relatives had heard the news. Uh, Notice how Luke phrases it. They had heard that the Lord displayed his great mercy toward her. The birth of her son, make no mistake, was a, a joyous a blessing to uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. But the birth of her son was a display of the Lord's mercy. Throughout this text, and even in the previous passage, we've seen this emphasis on God's mercy, God's compassion. The Lord's mercy is this main theme and uh, is one of the main themes here. We find it mentioned here. We find it mentioned verse 72, verse 78 as well, three times in this text. Remember last time we... When we looked at Mary's, Mary's uh, Magnificat, she also talked about God's mercy. God's mercy being offered to every generation, to generation after generation, to those who fear Him. The word for mercy, the Greek word helios, translates the Hebrew word in the in the Greek in the Greek Old Testament. That is, it, it translates the Hebrew word "kessed," or the word which would translate love and kindness, loyal love, God's covenant love. And I didn't get to elaborate on it last week, but I wanted to elaborate this week as Sometimes I ask ourselves when I ask you, how does God's faithfulness to his promise or his faithfulness or his, his love relate to mercy?" You see, when it comes to God's love for mankind, his covenant or his loyal love, particularly to, to even the nation Israels, is uh, often the focus, He loves them, He loves us, not because of anything in us. It's not because he looks at, oh I, I really, really find those people very funny, they're very intelligent, they're very wonderful, that's why I love them. That's why I'm going to do good things for them. Sometimes we do that. We, we, we like someone, so we're friendly towards them. We do loving things to them. Oh, that person is, is really smiles at me, so ah, I like that person. I'm going to treat them really nice. But God loves, God's loyal love, covenant love, loves the emphasis that he loves even those who do not love him those who are not lovable. He loves us in, our, in Israel, in our fallen and helpless condition. And so when he shows that love to those who are fallen and helpless, it is often translated mercy, compassion. He sees fallen, destitute, depraved, sinful people, and he loves them out of his promise, out of his faithful love. And We call that mercy. We call that Compassion. Here, Elizabeth was helpless in her condition. God had God had compassion and mercy on her, her childlessness, and gave her a son. And of course, it was an occasion for great rejoicing. This son was something special. It was a gift of God's mercy to a couple in their old age. But not only do we see. Uh, how God's word was fulfilled in the birth of Elizabeth's son as well as a, as a demonstration of God's mercy, we see that God's word was fulfilled also in the naming of Zacharias' son. Verse 59, Then it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. They were going to call him Zacharias after his father. Uh, one of the most exciting decisions that any parent can make is what to name your child, right? Uh, I'm sure you ask a parent, you know, how did they come? They'll usually tell you a little short, little blurb. But I guarantee you they, they talked about it a lot in the nine months preceding. Uh, if any parent is anticipating, you can go ask them. They, they probably got one name, a backup name, a couple other names. And they've, they've been talking about it for a long time. Uh, they're still open to the possibility of change because, like, ooh, I like that name. Uh, so, um, you know, it's an exciting time to name what you name a child. And so same for Zacharias and Elizabeth. It was, a, it was an exciting time. And it was, it was on the occasion of his circumcision on the eighth day. And it was often customary that they would name a child after someone in their family. The, the father, the grandfather, or somebody else. Or the, a mother or grandmother. And since Zacharias could not speak at this time, remember he was uh, uh, under uh, God's, uh, God's uh, judgment, all the eager relatives that had gathered were basically speaking for him. They were advocating to, to name the child after their father and say, Oh, let's name him Zacharias. You know, Zacharias, that's a good name, Zachary. Zacharias is a great name. Come on, everybody. You can just imagine the, all the hullabaloo that was taking place. They're basically, you know, being, they're ready to kind name Zacharias already. But Elizabeth and Zacharias had another plan in mind. Not not exactly their plan, but it was God's plan. Verse 60 through 63, we see this plan. But his mother answered and said, no indeed, but he shall be called John. He said to her, there is no one among your relatives who was called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. (laughs) It's funny. They, They didn't believe Elizabeth, so they tried to reach Zacharias here. And he asked for a tablet. And wrote as follows, his name is John. And they were all astonished. First, we see Elizabeth says that, her, she says her, that her son will be called John. She speaks up on behalf of their family. But the people, of course, found this strange because nobody in their family was named John. So they turn and ask Zacharias. Actually, it says here they, they made signs to him, you know. So, uh. It's kind of interesting because we know that he was, he was mute. He was unable to speak. But the, the indication that, that they made signs the, probably indicate that he might have been deaf as well. That's possible, and, it's pro- and maybe even probable. In any case, he asked for a tablet, a tablet in those days. And he got the, the latest iPad Pro, you know, and, and wrote his answer. I know, he's getting old. I'm using that too often. He wrote his answer. Now, the joy, imagine the situation for Zacharias. It is the moment of the so full of joy because of the birth of his son. All the, his neighbors and relatives are gathered around. It's like all of you were present. They're all asking this question, oh, what will you name him? What will you name him? What do you want to call him? His heart was probably likely beating at this moment in his heart with the excitedness with regards to the significance of this very moment. Nine months had gone by with not a word from his mouth and likely not a word in his ear. Each day that passed by, a humbling reminder of that day. That day when he failed to believe God's words from the angel Gabriel. And in those nine months, in his silence, he meditated, he reflected. Prayed, he repented, and he waited for this moment. The birth of his son, the naming of his son. As he wrote on that tablet, every stroke of his pen, an act of heartfelt faith in his sovereign God. He remembered the words of the angel. The son was already given a name by God. You can imagine for John at that moment, the whole world would be, could demand that he, they name him after himself. But his answer was an act of settled faith. And he writes, his name is John. A powerful expression of faith in his mighty, saving God. This name, of course, in Greek means the Lord is gracious. And yes, God has been more than gracious to Zacharias and Elizabeth. A gracious gift from the Lord. But also he would prepare the way for the most gracious gift of all, our Savior Jesus Christ. When the people heard what they had what they wanted to call their son, we read the response of the people is that they were all astonished. They were amazed. was shocked. This was an unexpected name. Yet it was, again, the fulfillment of God's promise, God's plan, as revealed through the angel Gabriel. Somehow this son was special. God was working in the life of this son, the birth of this one, to bring about his plans. And what happened next further confirms this, as we see that God's words are fulfilled in the opening of Zacharias' mouth in verse 64 to 66. Verse 64, we read, and at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. By naming his son John, Zacharias completed the fulfillment of the angel's announcement (coughs) just as the angel had promised Zacharias would be silent until God's word regarding the son, his son, was fulfilled. Your wife will bear you a son. Check. You will name him John. Check. You and many will have joy at his birth. Check. Zacharias' mouth was opened so that he could speak again. Check. After nine months of reflection, the first words that come out of Zacharias' mouth our, our words of praise to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Benedictus in the Latin. The specific content of his praise is revealed in the verses that follow in 68 and following. But the circumstances surrounding the birth of Zachariah's son, was a fulfillment of God's plan. And as a fulfillment of God's plan, because God was at work here, it had a profound impact on the surrounding hill country. All the people in this community were affected, impacted by it. Verse 65 and 66, we see this impact. Fear came on all those living around them, and all those, these matters were being talked about, in all the hill country of Judea, all who heard them, kept them in mind, saying, what then will this child turn out to be? But the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Rejoicing gave way to astonishment, which now gave way to fear. People talked and people passed on the story about John, how Zacharias could not speak when he came back. How Elizabeth in her old age became pregnant soon after. How a son was now born to them. How Elizabeth and Zacharias insisted on the name of John. How when John was named, Zacharias all of a sudden could speak again. And then immediately when Zacharias could speak and explain everything, Zacharias attributed all to God through a message that he received from the appearance of an angel in the temple. An angel named Gabriel. As word spread of all these wonderful, amazing things, these matters, everyone had a sense that God's power was being manifest in the life of this little baby boy. Zacharias' his son, John. This was certainly the work of God. This was certainly the hand of the Lord. And it was a, yes, a fearful thing, a terrifying thing because God was at work. <laughs> you ever been we just kind of, you know, we, we don't have the, cir- the confirmation of God's word, but whenever we sense that God is at work, it causes a, sometimes in us a, a, almost a, a physical reaction. Sort of sometimes like, you know, your, your hair kind of stands up on the back of your neck. You're like, oh, this is just too coincidental to be just accident. This is God at work here. And you're just awed by it. You've, you're overwhelmed by the power of God in your life. That's how the people, all the people are surrounding John the Baptist's life were, were feeling. Well, then... And as they they really started asking, what will this child turn out to be? They knew this child was special. What would he become? He would become the one who would point to a greater child whom they would even be more astonished and more amazed and more joyful over. That's what he would become. So for Zacharias, the birth of his son was was a demonstration of God's mercy to him and his wife. A demonstration of God's power. Everything the angel spoke was fulfilled in the proper time. Zacharias remembered the rest of the words of the angel. He remembered what his son would become. And as everyone's focus is on his own son, when Zacharias speaks, his focus is on God's son. And this leads us to our second event, our second point in this text. And that is Zacharias' song. <laughs> The birth of Zacharias' son leads to this singing or this speaking of Zacharias' song. We call it a psalm because his response is, is very poetical in nature. It's like a psalm. It's written in a certain meter and a certain uh, wording so that it was uh, it was most likely then turned into a, a praise, a, a, something that people would sing. Uh, it is, in fact, uh, the songs that are written on, that are based upon these words is, uh, at least in the in, in Latin, it's called the Benedictus. As our brother Stan pointed out earlier, Benedictus, Dominus, yeah, et cetera. It's the rest. Deus, Israel. Okay, sorry. Had to get nerdy Latin there for you. Um, but anyways, it is, uh, there was a, and this word means blessed or blessing. But the blessing here, you know, there's blessing from God. This is a blessing that's called upon God. And the blessing that's called upon God is really a praise of God. And so we read in verse 67, the circumstances of this, that his father and his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, just like Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit, Zacharias is filled with the Spirit. Just as she prophesied, she spoke God's truth, so John, all, Zacharias excuse me, also speaks God's truth. And his song is a praise psalm that focuses on God's blessing of salvation through the coming of the Son of God, the Son of David. And his prophecy breaks up into four parts. It's a four-part song. And first of all, he praises God for his provision of salvation, for the provision of God's salvation. Verse 68, 69, we read this. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished Redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Zacharias uses three descriptive phrases to refer to the salvation that God provides. First, he says God has visited us. This word is used of, of visiting people, whether they're sick or in prison, orphans and widows, people basically visiting people in need. But the word describes here God's visiting. His people Israel, his people in their time of need, his concern, his intervention in their lives. He's not just coming to say hi, but he comes to actively care and minister to them because of their downtrodden, destitute nature. And how does God specifically show his care? Through the sending of his Son? Later in verse 78, he used the same verb of Jesus when he says that the sunrise from on high will visit us. God, here he says, God has visited us. Later he says, the sunrise on high, referring to Jesus. Jesus visits us. God, to be, Jesus is the Son of God. Secondly, not only this, God's salvation expressed in how he visited us in our need. But secondly, God has accomplished redemption for his people, he's described. By the way, these are all in the past tense because these are called prophetic, uh, prophetic errors, but prophetic past tense. It's that the, the use of past tense is so certain, though it's future, it's so certain that it's spoken of in past tense to emphasize that it's as good as done already. Secondly, God had accomplished redemption for his people. The word redemption here is a familiar word to many of us in the Christian faith. It pictures the, the payment of a price when you want to buy something or set someone free from slavery or imprisonment. There, there was a price that had to be pay, paid. Although many Israelites were looking for redemption from their, 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 basically their slavery to Rome or their, their submission to Rome, God gave us his son and gave them his son to redeem them not from slavery to Rome but slavery to Rome. To sin in Hebrews chapter nine verse 12, and I didn't put it up, but in Hebrews 9:12, you can write the reference down, it is said of Christ that through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained an eternal redemption. When Jesus died on the cross, he obtained redemption, eternal redemption for all who believe upon him. And being free from political oppression is, is a temporal kind of redemption, but being free from sin is an eternal redemption. What's more, Paul and, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1.7 says, In him, that is, in Jesus, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions. Why do we need redemption? It's because we have sin. When our sins record, demand a just penalty from God. But according to God's, the riches of God's grace, he sent us his son to die In place of us to pay the penalty for our sins, so that in Jesus Christ we have been redeemed from the penalty of our sins. We have our trespasses forgiven. Thirdly, our salvation is spoken to us here as God, that God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. I don't know, we don't really use this kind of terminology today, but it would be kind of cool if we, you know, started saying, oh, man, you know, instead of saying, oh, I praise God because God saved us. Next time we'll just say, oh, God, I praise God because he has raised up a horn of salvation for me. And people are like, what are you, and that's kind of weird, but it'd be kind of neat. That's how, what he's saying here. And the horn, of course, was used by... Uh, well, now, of course, today, because we don't usually walk around with horns. Well, horns were used by animals as a weapon, often, right? times they were used as a weapon. And it came to be a symbol of an animal, especially those that had horns, a symbol of strength, power, and might. Uh, this phrase was used by David in Psalm 18, verses 1 to 3, where he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. Listen to all those words of strength. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. See The association of horn of my salvation with the strength of God to save. And here in Luke, Zacharias is referring that to a person who would come from the house of David, that is, God's servant David. So that means, it tells us if some people who might look at this text say, well, he must be talking of his own son. But Zacharias is not speaking of his own son. Zacharias is of the descendants of Levi, not of the descendants of David, of Aaron. Aaron, not of, not of, uh, of David. Because Zacharias is a priest. Because Zacharias is a priest. So Zacharias is referring to some future, some coming descendant of David. And for every Jewish person there, they would have understood this clearly as referring to the messianic king. This is God's provision of salvation comes in the fulfillment of all his promises that were always centered upon as we looked at in Isaiah and in many. if you've read any of the other many prophecies, always focused and centered upon the coming Messiah, the coming messianic king, the descendant of David who would sit on the throne of God, of David forever. So we see the provision of God's salvation. Zacharias praises God for. But he also praises the Lord for the provision of God's promise. The promise of God's salvation, excuse me. The promise of God's salvation. Now all this is, this was not just something that just God decided last minute to do. This is something that God's word had already promised. He had already intended. He made very clear that this was what he would do. Verse 70 through 73, we read this. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from abode, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. Now, God has provided salvation because it is exactly what he had spoken from the mouth of his prophets, from Moses, from David, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, from Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, and so many other prophets. Every, we could, if you ever just want to do it uh, or you want some of the text, you can uh, email me afterwards and I'll send you some of the references. But all these many prophets spoke of this coming of God's salvation. And from the very first point, even you can go all the way, go back to even Moses, Israel essentially has waited for 1,500 years. Even more if you go back to Abraham. But God's promise of salvation was now beginning to be fulfilled in Zacharias' day. God had promised salvation from their enemies. Yes, they were thinking of Rome, but God knew that their greatest enemy was their sin and Satan the devil. We see again the the mention here of mercy. That God shows mercy toward their fathers. Salvation is an act of God's mercy and compassion on helpless, sinful, fallen people. What's more, the provision of salvation is not just a a fulfillment earlier of David's promise to David. It's a a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham as well. The Abrahamic covenant is referred to here. He had promised Abraham a a seed, a a land, a nation, a a blessing even. And God was fulfilling that, would fulfill all that in his son. He was to fulfill a promise that he had made to Abraham. So Zacharias moves then from Praising God for the provision of God's sake and, the pro- and the promise of God's salvation. But he moves and prays to the purpose of God's salvation. The purpose of God's salvation. We read in verse 74 to 75 these words. This is the purpose of why God saves. To grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God saved us. God saved Israel and God saves us for the purpose of serving him. A lot of times we think of salvation just being as being the matter of fact that we're saved from our sins. We often come out, sometimes forget that God saves us for a purpose. He saves us to be a, a holy people. A people for his possession. To possess a people for his name. But we see here that we are saved for him so that we might serve him, to worship him. The Apostle Paul writes some of this, this similar tr- uh, truth in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And this, I uh, just can't help but just make this a clear application for us even right now. Here we are, those who are saved by God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we, and we should rejoice in the fact that we're saved. But I hope that even though we might rejoice, at, that we, as we rejoice that we're saved, that we don't just then say, well, I'm saved and I don't have to do anything else. That we should be thinking about how then, if God has saved me for him, how then should I live my life to serve him? How then should I live my life to not just serve him in church, but to serve him in our world? Everywhere I go, I am now the Lord's servant. We don't, uh, many of you, uh, we're actually, uh, <clears throat> uh, it's, a, it's a season of life where we're asking people, a season of the church where we're asking uh, many of our uh, deacons, our ministry lead deacons, deaconess, ministry leaders to uh, reconsider their, their term to serve. But you know what? You don't need, I just think about it for anyone, you don't need a term in order to serve, right? You don't need to be called, and I know for all our ministry leaders, they don't need to be called a deacon, deaconess. In fact, many of them tell me that. Say, I don't really need the title. And that's true, you don't. I know if I would not give you the title, you'd still be serving. In fact, many of you still have been serving for a long time without the title. Because you, why do you do that? Because you have been saved by God. And you know that you've been saved for the purpose. And that's why you serve. You serve in, in many ways. Some of you have served, are serving here this morning in our worship of ministries, in our Sunday schools. In, our, in, in some of our finances teams. You're be, you serve in different ways because you've been saved. You know, whether you have a title night, let's all look for ways to be serving our Lord to make a difference in our world. I notice that sometimes people retire. We retire from work. or in a sense, we never retire from ministry. Maybe you might not have a formal ministry anymore, but all of us at all times can be serving God. We can serve God when we come in the church and we speak truth to one another, we encourage others, when we share the gospel with others, when we pray for others. That's how we serve the Lord. And for Zacharias, throughout his praise of God, he has been focused on God's son and the provision of God's son. We could really, you could replace the word salvation with the word son, it's the provision of God's son, the promise of God's son, the purpose of God's son. But finally, in verse seventy-six to seventy-nine, we Zacharias does make a little bit of mention about his own son. We see acknowledgment of his own son John, but even as he speaks of his son John, he speaks of John only in relationship or in relation to Christ. He praises God for the lastly the preparation for God's salvation, the preparation. I like what Zacharias does here, on this occasion he speaks to his son a word a word of truth. I was at a birthday party this past week, and, I know for one of the uh, one of our you know kids friends, and I really was encouraged because the father right before he he um, you know he kind of just uh, you know prayed for the meal, he spoke a word of encouragement to his son very publicly before all his friends, just really just focusing on what. His dreams, his hopes, his prayers for his son, what he was encouraged by his son. And I, can, I was watching his son. It was almost like, you know, he was, you know, was speaking all the spiritual things. Like, I just thought his son was beaming. His son was beaming. I said, man, that's that's how you build up your son to be a follower of Christ. You speak truth into his life before in a very public way, never a very practical thing. I, you know, and it's not dust say the Lord, okay, but I was thinking, boy, that really works. Speak truth into your lives early. See believe what God has for your child. And speak it to them. Use those special occasions. Speak truth, okay? That parenting tip was free, all right? Uh, Because I just learned it this week. All right, anyways, the preparation of God's salvation. And you, child, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, John's ministry was a unique ministry. Uh, not every child is going to have this ministry. But back in, <coughs> and yet, in a similar way, in, a some, in some ways, every child that we raise could have this ministry, a ministry that points to one who is greater than them, to Jesus Back in chapter 1, 16 and 17, the angel had told Zacharias that his son would, be, would <clears throat> turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Furthermore, he would go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So it's no wonder that Zacharias, in his, by faith, remembering God's word, acknowledges God's promise regarding his son. He speaks to his son that he would be the prophet of the Most High. He would go before the Lord to prepare his ways. And specifically, John would give the Lord's people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. He would tell others that they could find salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And he prepares them. You think about John the Baptist's ministry. What did he call people to do? Repent of your sins. The Lord is coming. It begins with repentance, and he would call many to repentance through the, and be baptized for the repentance of their sins to prepare, waiting for the day when he would say, behold, the Lamb of God. This is the one who takes away all our sins. And all this is possible because of the tender mercy of our God. Again, the word mercy here. <clears throat> God doesn't leave mankind to sit in our darkness in the shadow of death. Lost, not knowing which way to go. But because of his mercy, God sent us his Son. God sends us his light, his sunrise from on high. I love the, sun, the picture of the sunrise. His sunrise is, is ever faithful. You know, all other lights of this world can perish and disappear. But the sunrise will not. It will always rise again. Every single day. Every morning. The sunrise comes up and the lights shine. The You know, man's artificial lights can all go out one day, but God's sunrise will shine. And God's, and using that term of Jesus is that he is, is a light that will always continually shine upon a dark world that needs him. When he visits, he shines his light so that people can see and be guided to the way of reconciliation. That is peace with God. That's what, that's That was John's ministry, John's life. According to Zachariah's words, and, because, and he would prepare the way for God's salvation. Throughout Zachariah's psalm, we've seen that this is a fulfillment of the angel's words, really. But we've seen that this is the fulfillment of God's words through the scriptures as well. We've seen references here to Psalm 106, verse 10, Malachi 3.1, Isaiah 9.2. We've seen also here several indirect references or allusions to Old Testament prophecies as well, to Davidic, the Davidic covenant, Abrahamic covenant, etc. See, the birth of John is the beginning of the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation. It is the precursors to the arrival of the Messiah. It is all according to the predetermined plan. And the pre in the pre-revealed promises of God, John would prepare the way by calling people to repent, for the Messiah was coming. I think we can praise God for this, just as uh, just as Zacharias does, but we can also find encouragement in the life ministry of John. We'll look at it later, actually, when we talk about John. Uh, John's ministry in, uh, in, in chapter 3. But there's an encouragement here. Even, uh, I, I love uh, John, uh, John the Baptist, his life. It just reminds us that we all should be like him. We can all learn from his example to be ones who point to Jesus. And this season of life, this Thanksgiving, Christmas, is a wonderful time for all of us here who know Christ, that we would pray that our lives would some way, somehow in our, in our speech, in our actions, in our deeds, in our attitudes, Point people to the one who's greater, the one who has come, our salvation, the Son, Jesus Christ. We end the text in verse 80, and we read, And the child continued to grow and to become strong in the spirit. He lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. John the Baptist would go off to be basically hidden. He would grow. He would be strong not only physically, but he would be strong spiritually spiritually. The ministry that he would be called to, the, a Nazarite uh, ministry that required a Nazarite vow, required living in the desert, eating uh, grasshoppers and things like that. well And what's more, a ministry that would call people sinners, a ministry that would call people to repent, a ministry that would not be popular, but yet a ministry that because of the sovereign power of, this, of God would bring about a great repentance, revival among Israel to prepare them for the coming of their Messiah. Well, as we conclude, we've looked at many things, just many of the different kind of just uh, applications we've seen about, we learned about God's mercy. And there's all sorts of reasons in this text to praise God, particularly about his mercy. We praise God for how he, he, his power manifests in, in all the, the, uh, the different events that took place in this story. We can also find encouragement, though, particularly how God's words are fulfilled in this text. God's words are fulfilled. And I think that's what I want to conclude with my uh, with my application, our complete application for us. That is, a lot of us here and are, are mature in our faith. We've come along. We've come to know Jesus Christ. We've walked with Him for some, uh, you know, twenty, thirty, even maybe, maybe for some of us ten years. It feels already a long time. We've come to know a certain body, a doctrine of truth about Jesus, and we have this certain knowledge, and we've gained it, and because of, we've have many faithful teachers and disciples here in this church. And the temptation for us is the temptation that the Pharisees and scribes gave into. To take all of it for granted, to think that I've learned everything that I need to know, I don't need to learn anymore. But we see here in the example of Zacharias, a righteous man, in his old age, still being challenged with new truths, revelation from the angel Gabriel. And even in his maturity, his mature spiritual faith, he responded, remember, with disbelief. And he responded and eventually learned to believe and trust in the Lord. I think his life is an example to us. That no matter how old or how mature we are in our Christian faith, you could be 20 years old, but you've been a Christian for like 15, you know. We should never take our faith for granted. Let us constantly pray that we would be well open to understanding more of God's truth. And more importantly, that we'll be constantly challenged, open to being tested. Let's not be surprised. Oh, why, oh, why am I struggling with this? Why, why am I wrestling with anxiety or fear or greed or, or lust or, or, you know, the, you name the sin? Why am I feeling so tempted to not trust the Lord here? Because God wants us to keep trusting in him. And he'll use whatever circumstances go on in our lives, whatever circumstances, and just like he did for Zacharias, to, to give us reason to believe anew in God's word. To receive new truth, if need be, but most importantly, to believe the truths that he's revealed to us. And as we do so, may our lives bring God much praise, because he is a merciful God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and your truths. May, may, uh, you, may you cause us to hear what we need to hear from this passage. Thank you for the revelation of the birth of John, the circumstances that surrounded us. And, Lord, we praise you for your mercy, for your provision of salvation, for certainly that is what you did when you sent us, (coughs) when you sent, uh, when you (coughs) actually brought about the birth of John, Lord, his life pointed to to the coming of your son and the fulfillment of your plans. Help us, Father, as a people to praise you. But to also continue to to learn from the many example the example of Zacharias here, to be a people who keep trusting, keep, keep on trusting you, to believe that your words will be fulfilled, words that we've learned probably already, truths that we've learned, but truths that we still need to believe. Always, Father, we pray that you continue to shape us, mold us, Lord. You we continue to be helpless, needy, desperate uh, people who are dependent upon you. We thank you, Lord, that you provide us your spirit. We thank you that you provide us your word. And we thank you most of all that you provided your son. And as we depend upon your provision, Lord, may you cause us to be people who respond in praise for the salvation that you give us. That we be people who respond as those who point to the Savior. These things we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Please head on. To, you're welcome to go to our Sunday school hours in the class below. Uh, you can exit out my right, your left. And uh, have a wonderful week. And God bless you.